0: Hey there, welcome to The Deeper Podcast. A podcast that's all about how we can love the hell out of this world, making those tiny little shifts towards compassion and care, wonder, and joy that allow us to live with intention that can bring about big changes, starting off in small ways. I'm Reverend Sean, one of your hosts, and today on the podcast, we start a new series. It's a mini one. There's only two of them. But both of these topics, I think, are really going to jive with where we're all at. And this is a series called The Tolerance Trap. What do we mean by that? I mean, I think a lot of us, especially if we grew up in liberal or progressive circles, we were told that tolerance is kind of the bedrock. It is the foundation of how we should approach other people, how our society should be. And while there's a lot of wisdom in this, I think what we're trying to explore in this series is how, well, tolerance um, for tolerance sake actually can lead to some really challenging outcomes, not only personally, but for society. And so we're trying to explore what exactly is the goal of that tolerance that we put as a value so that we can unpack whether or not kind of an absolutist understanding of tolerance is more of a trap than not. And today on the podcast, you're going to hear from Reverend Gretchen, and she's sharing a, a talk today about her struggle with tolerance and boundaries for people who hold different beliefs than her, how that relates to being a faith that is... Built on the idea of diversity of thought, but where are the boundaries? Because boundaries are an essential part of living. I mean, if I didn't have a boundary in my body, you know, I would just be a bunch of goo. I guess not even that, because even bunches of goo have boundaries. Um, but if we, and we don't have boundaries in our relationships, we lose ourselves, um, or we control other people and hurt them. And so we're going to be exploring exactly what that all means. Now, before we dive into that, I, I wanna tell you that we got something really special coming up, some shifts in the podcast that I think you're all gonna really love. Um, and so if you want to make sure to be the first to hear about it, because we're gonna have some sneak previews, just wanna make sure that you know uh, that we'd love to get to know you. So if you go to foothillsuu.org podcast survey, just fill out a little bit of information about yourself and you'll be the first to know about this upcoming shift in what is happening with this podcast. I'm super excited about it. I think it's gonna really um, allow what we're doing here to really be enhanced. So without further ado, let's dive into the conversation today. So first you're gonna hear from Reverend Elaine. She is gonna share this reading from Princess Hemphill, who's a snomatic uh, practitioner. And then it's gonna go right into Gretchen's talk in which she's gonna be sharing about her experiences with boundaries.
1: Our reading this morning is On Boundaries by Prentice Hemphill. For me, there is a big love that exists regardless of me, which means there are people I have boundaries with that I'm like, I don't know if I love you, but there's a big love or an intactness. I want to remain intact and want other people to remain intact. For me, that has to do with love. It might not be that I love you in the sense that I love my nephew, but I want everybody's sovereignty over themselves. And my boundaries are gonna exist in places that allow us to have our sovereignty boundaries give us the space to do the work of loving ourselves they might be actually the first and fundamental expression of self-love they also give us the space to love and witness others as they are even those who have hurt us we actually don't have much information about how to be with our own boundaries And when I work with clients, I have to say, it's not like you're going to identify a boundary and be like, oh, this feels so good. That feels so great. I held that boundary, and it was awesome. It is the opposite. Love doesn't always feel like a weighted blanket and hot cocoa. Sometimes it feels like withdrawal. Boundaries and shame are all tied up together. And the reason it is hard for you to hold boundaries is because you feel shameful to hold boundaries where you need them. But really, it is a very loving act to have boundaries.
2: I'm guessing we all have that one friend. Maybe yours is from high school or maybe they aren't a friend for you. It's somebody in your family. My one friend I met in seminary. He was a Lutheran, but not the progressive kind. We were sincerely friends, though. He was smart and interesting and very dedicated to his conservative faith. And every so often, he would compare that faith to mine, specifically by noting how we Unitarian Universalists, or liberals more generally, are such hypocrites. Because we say that we are open to everyone, but really we just mean we're open to people who think like we do. We say we're open to all ways of thinking, unless you believe being gay is a sin, for example. Or we say we are welcoming of all, except those who would say there's only one true God, or one religion in Christ. When that happens, he'd say, we become just as fundamentalist as he is. Now, he would say these things in a kind of offhand mark, uh, way, but he, he meant them. There was, from his perspective, a fundamental problem with our way of doing religion. I mean, beyond the fact that we're heretics who are going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> the problem starts with universalism, which is one of the two heresies at the core of our faith. Universalism is that premise that there is no one outside the circle of love. Like Prentice Hempel said in the reading, a big love is present for all of us, equally, unconditionally. Everyone is in, no exceptions. Some would call it God's love, but you don't have to. I was thinking it's also like in the, the meditation song, some would call it loving kindness. It's that sort of love that has not much to do with your behavior or your beliefs, your circumstances or your choices. Universalism is why we affirm inherent worth, inherent a gift, a given. You might call it grace. This is the good news of our faith, that there is a love that holds us all, a love that will not let us go no matter what. And the problem begins when we start to think about this a little more carefully, particularly the no exceptions part. Because no exceptions? Really, we wonder. But what about... Now, before 2016, when I'd say that, most people would say, but what about Hitler? (laughs) Just the go-to what about. No exceptions, but what about Hitler? But more often since 2016, I've heard, but what about Trump? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Leading up to the election, I never thought twice about speaking out against Donald Trump. As a queer woman and parent to a biracial daughter, his xenophobic, racist, misogynist comments felt to me intensely personal. Like he was coming for me and my family and being against him and his way of bringing out our worst possible instincts felt to me like fighting for my very right to exist. Even more as a Unitarian Universalist minister, his flagrant embrace of violence His racist dog whistles, his anti-democratic impulses on their face appear to me impossible to reconcile with Unitarian Universalist principles. Which among other things include a promise to work for peace in one world community, for justice and equity for all, and for democracy as a universal practice. The night after Trump was elected, we held here at Foothills, right here, an emergency Vespers service so we could grieve together. And the year after his election, we saw a huge new, an influx of new members. We called it the Trump bump. <laughs> now, before Trump, I was more cautious to make space for all kinds of voters, whether in my preaching or in our shared ministry together. But Trump just felt different. It wasn't about politics or partisanship. It felt more like a matter of morality and about faith. So what about Donald Trump? Despite everything I've just said, I've actually never felt confused about Trump being in, not out, of the circle of the big love. I might find his words his tactics, his policies, reprehensible, but that does not mean he no longer has an inherent worth, even if it is sometimes obscured. (laughs) Because I believe the big love exists. Regardless. Which means I trust that all people are loved which also means I don't necessarily have to be the one to generate that love. I don't have to be the one doing the loving. But I do need to act with the understanding that all people are inherently worthy of love and all people are held in love. Even if I don't understand it or feel it personally, I need to trust that it is true, treat people assuming that they are loved just like every other person, including me. So this is how I think about Donald Trump or any other person you might come up with. He's just like the most visible, but really, we could come up with, what about, what about, but what about? It's how I think about my friend's cruel ex-husband. And it's even how I sometimes think about the girls who were mean to my daughter in fifth grade. Some days, it's even how I think about myself. Like, I don't need to figure out how to love myself all the time. Because instead, I can just trust that I am loved. I am held in love. And it's a love that no matter what will not let me go. Now, so this helps address some of what my friend would ask me about, but it doesn't really get at the bigger issue that he's pointing at which is less a matter of Trump or others like him being worthy of love and more about the ease with which we held that Vespers service that night in November or showed up as a church at protests about his policies. It's about the people who weren't grieving but were actually celebrating. It's that question of whether these folks can also be held in this community, tolerated within our faith that we say is built on tolerance. And if not, is that, as my friend would say, hypocritical? These questions get at the boundaries of our community. Communities have boundaries too. In a community, it's a matter of who belongs, and who does not, and why. As Charles Vogel says in his book, The Art of Community, a boundary is the recognized demarcation between insiders and outsiders. The boundary should be more about making the inside space safe for insiders than it is about keeping outsiders out. When there's a boundary, insiders feel more confident that they share values and that they understand one another better. For example, a few months ago, we held here a small group for grandparents who were trying to understand gender. And a boundary for being a part of that group is you needed to have a grandchild who was themselves exploring gender, and you needed to sincerely yourself be trying to understand gender. If someone tried to attend that didn't have a grandchild or who was not at all trying to understand, but actually was kind of judgmental or closed off, it would significantly decrease trust in the group, make it feel unsafe. Boundaries are the way we define what we're willing to say yes to, what we say no to, who we say yes to, who we say no to. They are the good walls that we put up, grounded not in fear or hatred, but in love. As Prentice Hempel writes, boundaries give us the space to do the work of loving ourselves. They also give us the space to love and witness others as they are. Now, in community, boundaries are rooted just in shared values, in common interests, and often in behavioral expectations, which is why boundaries are usually one of the first things that newcomers are trying to feel out was they're trying to get to know foothills, even though they don't usually come in saying, tell me about your boundaries. But they want to know what are those shared values? What's expected? If they'll fit in? What beliefs are welcome? What identities? What cultures? What abilities or practices? What emotional states? I mean, seriously, you won't believe the number of people who apologize to me for crying in church. Because, I mean, obviously crying is not appropriate in every relatively public space, but it is definitely fine here. I always think church is a very good, safe, and appropriate place to cry, in case you're wondering. Crying isn't one of our boundaries, but that doesn't mean we have no boundaries. Even a faith like ours that hopes to be extremely open and accepting and who affirms a big love that holds everyone and everything and who sometimes even declares we welcome everyone, even we have boundaries of who belongs and who does not. After all, as Vogel says, if everyone in the world belongs in your community, this means your community cannot be distinguished from no community. Some of you have heard me say before that instead of we welcome everyone, we would do better to say we welcome everyone who welcomes everyone. This is an explicit boundary that would recognize our shared value of welcoming everyone and our shared values of diversity, acceptance, and, yes, tolerance. By saying we welcome everyone who welcomes everyone, we recognize that these values require us to limit acceptance wherever acceptance is limited. And to limit diversity wherever diversity is limited. And to limit tolerance where tolerance is limited. This is actually what philosopher Karl Popper described in his 1945 book called The Open Society and Its Enemies. He described it as the tolerance paradox. He writes, Unlimited tolerance would lead to the disappearance of tolerance. We should therefore claim in the name of tolerance, the right not to tolerate the intolerant. If we extend unlimited tolerance, even to those who are intolerant, if we are not prepared to defend a tolerant society against the onslaught of the intolerant, then the tolerant will be destroyed and tolerance with them. The tolerance paradox. Now, Popper was careful to clarify that intolerant ideas need not be entirely suppressed as long as they were truly just ideas and not stirring up what he called a fervor of intolerance. I appreciate his caution because the flip side of being intolerant of all intolerance is a community where none of us are able to learn or grow. Because, I mean, the only way that growth happens is through exposure to different ideas, ways of thinking, which means that sometimes those of us who value tolerance must also sometimes be tolerant of intolerance. I'm thinking here specifically of my parents, maybe some of your parents, many other people's parents, who were initially for a while not so tolerant, let alone embracing of my queer identity. But over time, they've become not just tolerant, but great champions of LGBTQ rights and equality. And the only way that this change was possible was because my partner and I were, for a time, tolerant of their intolerance. Now, let me pause here to acknowledge that this is the most I've ever said tolerance in a sermon ever. It's actually a word, it kind of, it it was a really popular word. Those of you that have been Unitarian for a while, you know, it was a word that we used a lot for a long time. But then it kind of fell out of favor because we realized that the word tolerance sort of implies a lower bar that we hope to surpass. We don't want to just tolerate people. We want to accept them, even embrace them. But my example of my parents helps to remind us that sometimes tolerance is exactly the right word. Because I wasn't looking to accept my parents' homophobia I was not looking to embrace it, but it did matter that I was able to find a way to tolerate it. I think of this complexity whenever someone brings up uh, what you might have heard called cancel culture, which is what I just think of as the paradox of tolerance gone awry. Because saying or doing something intolerant is often hurtful, offensive, shocking, It can feel like a betrayal, especially when those words come from someone you consider a leader or a role model, an ally or a friend. And a natural reaction to that kind of betrayal, or at least what has become overly common in our culture, is to call out someone when they express something that seems intolerant or even shun them. We can see this playing out most recently in the Lizzo allegations, or even like last week in the Jimmy Fallon allegations. I don't know if any of you have seen those yet. I don't know, you can go home and can Google. It's in a Rolling Stone article. It's kind of go, oh, Jimmy Fallon. But shunning anyone who has said or done something intolerant will make their learning very difficult, if not impossible. It's a way of saying, we're not sure this person can change, or that they're worthy of change. It says, instead, we must get rid of this person because we are, after all, intolerant of intolerance. But just like we believe in diversity, we also do believe in change and the truth that this is not the end of the story, whatever this is. It is the other good news of the big love that there is a path of forgiveness available to us all always. And it's also the other way that I want to lift up about, think about boundaries, which is that we are not personally, just as we are not personally responsible to love every single person, the big love also means we are not personally responsible for healing every person. We must be discerning about what makes for productive conflict And also what the right time and place and people are to heal harm that has been caused. And we must be careful not to confuse conflict with abuse or to ask people who have been abused to tolerate their abuser so that their abuser can change. As Prentice Hempel reminds us so wisely, love doesn't always feel like a weighted blanket and hot cocoa. Sometimes it feels like withdrawal. Now, even though Popper doesn't say all intolerant ideas must be banned entirely, he does believe, he says, there is very clearly a limit. When intolerant ideas begin to capture a certain irrational and powerful energy among people, then we need to consider them as dangerous as inciting murder. After all, Popper's ideas were not just theoretical for him as an Austrian Jew forced to flee his homeland when it was taken over by Nazi Germany. Just like they are not theoretical for our world today, as evidenced most recently when the persistent anti-LGBTQ rhetoric has been translated into the murder of a California clothing store owner simply for hanging a rainbow flag to be a congregation and a faith that says we welcome all who welcome all and also who makes room for those who are on a path of learning and growing their hearts, who will make mistakes, cause harm, and who seek to repair that harm, which isn't that all of us at one time or another. This is the heart of our covenantal way of doing religion. It is what it means to be a Unitarian Universalist. It is not simple. It's not an easy path that we decide to journey together. It requires an ongoing curiosity, a relentless humility, and the extremely difficult and often annoying practice of admitting that you're not always right. It also asks us to accept that sometimes we will need to be uncomfortable because we know that it's discomfort that leads to growth. It requires a willingness to apologize, to make amends, to seek repair, to forgive. Maybe most of all, it means that we know we will not always get our own way. And we know that's a good thing because it also means that we are part of an intentionally diverse community that believes in boundaries, which is not, in fact, hypocritical. Because it means that we can just trust that there is that big love that exists and it cannot and will not let us go.
0: There are certain things that we should never tolerate. There are certain things that we should tolerate for... A time. There are certain things that we will accept that we have to tolerate for our entire lives. Figuring out the distinctions between each of these is complex internally, and it's also complex as a society, especially with some of our current conversation on rhetoric around boundaries being so tied to comfort, so tied to our. Desire to avoid conflict. So desire to make ourselves feel good rather than stand firm in our values. Sometimes I value being in relationship more than I value having a conversation that makes me feel good. Because I know, just like Gretchen and Carrie did with their parents, that it takes time and that relationships are the currency of change. That conversations are the currency of transformation. But this is hard work, friends. I mean, Princess Hampel reminds us that boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. But we don't get that right initially. We don't get that right all the time. It is a dynamic distance that we are figuring out. Sometimes we have to say, you know what? As Gretchen talked about, I can't tolerate this but I want to be in a society that does. Because universalism still calls us to believe that no one is outside the circle of love and belonging, even if that doesn't mean that we need to do the belonging and the loving. As we close out this episode, I I wonder if you would do a little experiment with me. This week, as you're going about your day-to-day, I want you to notice moments in which you are tolerating a behavior or a person. It could be uh, someone close in, a child, a spouse, a friend, or someone you work with, or even someone out in the community. And as you're noticing that you're tolerating, which means there's probably a bit of irritation going on, I mean, let's be honest, we're human. I want you to Connect into the value that is undergirding that tolerance. Just ask yourself Am I tolerating this behavior because I'm a little conflict averse? Am I tolerating this behavior because I love someone? Am I tolerating this behavior because I know that the fact that my husband didn't pick up that rapper is supremely annoying even though I do the same thing and it's actually not a big deal and so I should tolerate it? Whatever it is for you, I just. We thought you'd connect it and notice if the values that are undergirding your tolerance are the ones that you would choose
1: intentionally.
0: Well, that about wraps up this episode of the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you go to slash podcast survey, we'd love to get to know you, especially those folks that we aren't connected to already. As I said at the beginning, we're going to have some really interesting shifts coming up in the podcast in the next month or so, and we want you all to be the first to know about it so you can go on that journey with us. So appreciative of the hundreds of you who are listening every single episode. Until next time.